Chapter Seventeen of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The bar in Milligan's was not nearly so pretentious an affair as the bar in Lebron's, but it was of a far higher class. Milligan had even managed to bring in a few bottles of wine, and he had dispensed cheap claret at two dollars a glass when the miners wished to celebrate a rare occasion. There were complaints, not of the taste, but of the lack of strength. So Milligan fortified his liquor with pure alcohol, and after that the claret went like a sweet song in the corner. Among other things, he sold mint juleps, and it was the memory of the big sign proclaiming this fact that furnished Donnegan with his idea. He had George Washington Green put on his town clothes, a riding suit, in which Godwin had had him dress for the sake of formal occasions. Resplendent in black boots, yellow riding breeches, and blue silk shirt, the big man came before Donnegan for instructions. "'Go down to Milligan's,' said the master. "'They don't allow colored people to enter the door. But you go to the door and start for the bar. They won't let you go very far. When they stop you, tell them you come from Donnegan.' and that you have to get me some mint for a julep. Insist. The bouncer will start to throw you out. George showed his teeth. No fighting back. Don't lift your hand. When you find that you can't get in, come back here. Now ride. So George mounted the horse and went. Straight to Milligan's he rode and dismounted, and half of the corner's scant daytime population came into the street to see the brilliant horseman pass. Scar-faced Lewis met the big man at the door. And size meant little to Andy, except as an easier target. "'Well, confound my soul,' said Lewis, blocking the way. "'A negro in Milligan's. Get out.' But George did not move. "'I've been sent, mister,' he said mildly. "'I've been sent for enough mint to make a julep.' "'You've been sent to the wrong place,' declared Andy, hitching at his cartridge belt. Ain't you seen that sign? And he pointed to the one which eliminated colored patrons. Signs don't mean nothing to my boss, said George. Who's he? Donnegan. And who's Donnegan? It puzzled George. He scratched his head in bewilderment, seeking for an explanation. Donnegan is Donnegan, he explained. I heard Gloucester talk about him, offered someone in the rapidly growing group. He's the gent that rented the two places on the hill. Tell him to come himself, said Andy Lewis. We don't play no favorites at Milligan's. Mister, said Big George, I don't want to bring no trouble on this here place, but don't make me go back and bring Donnegan. Even Andy Lewis was staggered by this assurance. Rules is rules, he finally decided, and out you go. Big George stepped from the doorway and mounted his horse. "'I call on all you gentlemen,' he said to the assembled group, "'to say that I done tried my best to do this peaceable. "'It ain't me that sent for Donnegan. "'It's him.' He rode away, leaving scar-faced Lewis, biting his long mustaches in anxiety. He was not exactly afraid, but he waited in the suspense which comes before a battle. Moreover, an audience was gathering." The word went about as only a rumor of mischief can travel. New men had gathered. 
The few day gamblers tumbled out of LeBron's across the street to watch the fun. The storekeepers were in their doors. LeBron himself, withered and dark and yellow of eye, came to watch. And here and there, through the crowd, there was a spot of color where the women of the town appeared, and among others, Nellie LeBron, with Jack Landis beside her. On the whole, it was not a large crowd, but what it lacked in size, it made up in intense interest. For though the corner had had its share of troubles of fist and gun, most of them were entirely impromptu affairs. Here was a fight in the offing for which the stage was set, the actors set in full view of a conveniently posted audience, and all the suspense of a curtain rising. The waiting bore in upon Andy Lewis. Without a doubt, he intended to kill his man neatly and with dispatch, but the possibility of missing before such a crowd as this sent a chill up and down his spine. If he failed now, his name would be a sign for laughter ever after in the corner. A hum passed down the street. It rose to a chuckle, and then fell away to sudden silence, for Donnegan was coming. He came on a prancing chestnut horse, which sidled uneasily on a weaving course, as though it wished to show off for the benefit of the rider and the crowd at once. It was a hot afternoon, and Donnegan's linen riding suit shone an immaculate white. He came straight down the street, as unaware of the audience which awaited him, as though he rode in a park where crowds were the common thing. Behind him came George Green, just a careful length back. Rumor went before the two with a whisper on either side. "'That's Donnegan. There he comes.' "'Who's Donnegan?' "'Gloucester's man. The one who bluffed out Gloucester and three others. He pulled a shooting iron and trimmed the whiskers off of one of them with a chunk of lead.' Do you mean that? What's that kind of gent doing in the corner? Come to buy, I guess. He looks like money. Looks like a confounded dude. We'll see his hand in a minute. Donnegan was now opposite the dance hall, and Andy Lewis had his hand touching the butt of his gun. But though Donnegan was looking straight at him, he kept his reins in one hand and his heavy riding crop in the other. And without a move toward his own gun, he rode straight up to the door of the dance hall, with Andy in front of it. George drew rein behind him, and turned upon the crowd one broad, superior grin. As who should say, I promised you lightning, now watch it strike. If the crowd had been expectant before, it was now reduced to wire-drawn tenseness. "'Are you the fellow who turned back my man?' asked Donnegan. His quiet voice fell coldly upon the soul of Andy. He strove to warm himself by an outbreak of temper. "'There ain't any poor fool dude can call me a fellow,' he shouted. The crowd blinked, but when it opened its eyes, the gunplay had not occurred. The hand of Andy was relaxing from the butt of his gun, and an expression of astonishment and contempt was growing upon his face. I haven't come to curse you, said the rider, still occupying his hands with crop and reins. I've come to ask you a question and get an answer. Are you the fellow who turned back my man? I guess you ain't the kind I was expecting to call on me, drawled Andy, his fear gone, and he winked at the crowd. But the others were not yet ready to laugh. 
Something about the calm face of Donnegan had impressed them. Sure, I'm the one that kicked him out. He ain't allowed in there. It's the last of my thoughts to break in upon a convention in your city, replied the grave rider. But my man was sent on an errand, and therefore he had a right to expect courtesy. George, get off your horse and go into Milligan's place. I want that mint. For a moment, Andy was too stunned to answer. Then his voice came harshly as he swayed from side to side, gathering and summoning his wrath. Keep out, boy, keep out, or you're buzzard meat. I'm warning. For the first time, his glance left the rider to find George, and that instant was fatal. The hand of Donnegan licked out as the snake's tongue darts. The loaded quirk slipped over in his hand, and holding it by the lash, he brought the butt of it thudding down on the head of Andy. Even then, the instinct to fight remained in the stunned man. While he fell, he was drawing his revolver. He lay in a crumpling heap at the feet of Donnegan's horse, with the revolver shoved muzzle first into the sand. Donnegan's voice did not rise. "'Go in and get that mint, George,' he ordered, "'and hurry. This rascal has kept me waiting until I'm thirsty.'" But George hesitated only one instant. It was to sweep to the crowd for the second time with his confident grin. And then he strolled through the door of the dance hall. As for Donnegan, his only movement was to swing his horse around and shift riding crop and reins into the grip of his left hand. His other hand was dropped carelessly upon his hip. Now, both these things were very simple maneuvers, but the corner noted that his change of face had enabled Donnegan to bring the crowd under his eyes, and that his right hand was now ready for a more serious bit of work, if need be. Moreover, he was probing faces with his glance and every armed man in that group felt that the eye of the rider was directed particularly toward him. There had been one brief murmur. Then the silence lay heavily again, for it was seen that Andy had been only slightly stunned, knocked out as a boxer might be. Now his sturdy brains were clearing. His body stiffened into a human semblance once more. He fumbled, found the butt of his gun with his first move. He pushed his hat straight, and in so doing, he raked the welt which the blow had left on his head. The pain finished clearing the mist from his mind. In an instant, he was on his feet, maddened with shame. He saw the semicircle of white faces, and the whole episode flashed back on him. He had been knocked down like a dog. For a moment, he looked into the blank faces of the crowd. Someone noted that there was no gun strapped at the side of Donnegan. A voice shouted a warning. Stop, Lewis. The dude ain't got a gun. It's murder. It was now that Lewis saw Donnegan sitting the saddle directly behind him, and he whirled with a moan of fury. It was a twist of his body in his eagerness rather than a turning of his feet, and he was half around before the rider moved. Then he conjured a gun from somewhere in his clothes. There was the flash of steel, an explosion, and scar-faced Lewis was on his knees with a scream of pain, holding his right forearm with his left hand. The crowd hesitated still for a second, as though it feared to interfere, but Donnegan had already put up his weapon. A wave of the curious spectators rushed across the street 
and gathered around the injured man. They found that he had been shot through the fleshy part of his thumb, and the bullet ranging down the arm had sliced a furrow to the bone all the way to the elbow. It was a grisly wound. Big George Washington Green came running to the door of the dance hall with a sprig of something green in his hand. One glance assured him that all was well, and once more that wide, confident grin spread upon his face. He came to the master and offered the mint, and Donnegan, raising it to his face, inhaled the scent deeply. "'Good,' he said, "'and now for a julep. George, let's go home.'" Across the street a dark-eyed girl had clasped the arm of her companion in hysterical excitement. "'Did you see?' she asked of her tall companion. "'I saw a murderer shoot down a man. He ought to be hung for it.' "'But the mint! Did you see him smile over it? Oh, what a devil he is, and what a man!' Jack Landis flashed a glance of suspicion down at her, but her dancing eyes had quite forgotten him. They were following the progress of Donnegan down the street. He rode slowly, and George kept that formal distance, just a length behind. End of chapter 17